Let's now turn for our instruction to the book of Revelation and the chapter 15. The book of Revelation and the 15th chapter. Let us hear God's holy word together. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord giving us, we pray, is to hear and hearts receptive to receive his word by faith. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth for ever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and from his power no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord graciously help us here this evening as we come to his word. Let us pray, let us commit the evening service to the Lord and bring our many needs and petitions before him in prayer. Let us Above all, come worshipping him. Prayer, essentially, is praise and worship to Almighty God. Let us draw near. Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn now your prayerful attention to the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 15. As you know, for a long while now, we've been studying through the book of Revelation We've spent the last three sermons looking at the last chapter, chapter 14. We saw at the end of the chapter 14, the close of the fourth cycle. There are seven cycles in the book of the Revelation. And remember that at the end of each cycle, we have a scene of judgment and the saints glorified in heaven. Uh, Each of the cycles telling us, giving us, Details from different angles of things taking place in this world from the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ right up until his second advent, his final coming in glory. 
We saw at the close of the chapter 14, the harvest. The harvest both of the just and the unjust. And the Lord Jesus, pictured upon a white cloud coming with a crown on his head, with a sharp sickle, in the first place gathering in his elect to the garner. And then the angel giving the second sickle that indeed the children of wrath should be cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. It's uh, an Old Testament picture. Uh, God's wrath will be poured out upon the unbelieving, upon the tares. Of course, there are the wheat and the tares of this world. And the winepress is given to trod down those of the city, that is the city of this world, the city of destruction. This present world that is pictured as the beast and the people belonging to that beast who have the mark of the beast, which is also called the mark of man, upon their foreheads. It's not some secret number, but it is the number we're told at the end of chapter 13, it's the number of man. It's man without God, man without father, man without son, man without Holy Spirit, man incomplete with his creator. Remember on the seventh day, Adam rested with God, but there is no rest for the wicked. There is no eternal rest with their creator, but they shall go to a place of everlasting torment where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It'll be an awful day. These things are not easy to preach. They trouble the preacher's heart because we know that there will be many that even sit in our meetings that come along that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're told in Thessalonians, that God will come in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. The gospel calls men to repent, but men do not even begin there. They want a kind of a gospel with no repentance. They want their sin and they want heaven. But God's wrath is coming because of sin. And of course, all the Lord's people, he died for them and he gives the gift of repentance and he gives the gift of faith too so that they do repent, so that they do believe. The natural man does not receive the things of God. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that God's eternal Godhead and his divine nature is manifest to men by the things that he has made, so that men are without excuse. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God day unto day, night unto night. Nature cries out to man, there is a God. And yet men hold down the truth, we're told, in unrighteousness. For this sake, for the sake of sin and wrath, there are two reasons why men perish. Firstly, because of sin. And secondly, because they're not elect. The elect are given eyes to see and hearts to believe. Two reasons. A.W. Pink put it right, there's two sides of the coin. There is not only God's sovereignty, but man's responsibility. 
So that's what we saw at the close of the chapter 14. It was the close of the fourth cycle. But now chapter 15 begins a new cycle, the fifth cycle. And remember, as I said, the seven cycles tell us about significant events in this world taking place from different vantage points. From that ascension of Christ right up until this present time, until the coming of the Lord Jesus. We could call it, as we've said a number of times, the gospel age. It's uh, typified or it's symbolized by uh, three, we could say four, formats. Three and a half years, three and a half days, 1260 days, or 42 months. You see that in the book of Daniel. We've seen it many times here in the book of Revelation. And each time at the end of these cycles, we see the church with God. This cycle will end in the 16th chapter in verses 17 to 21. You should have it on the note sheet that I gave you there. It's very easy to see. Now, as we come to chapter 15 here, it's a very short chapter. There are only eight verses. And what we have in these eight verses are what we call vials or bowls or plagues. When you get to chapter 16, they are described as vials. Notice verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, that's the ones that we've just seen here in chapter 15, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So these are vials, some translated to be bowls, and they poured out. And what we have here in chapter 15 Chapter 15 is speaking about these seven plagues or vials that are poured out. We are seeing here these vials or these bowls from heaven's perspective. We're seeing what indeed John has given a sign in the verse 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues. And them is filled up the wrath of God. And what we'll learn from this chapter, chapter 15, is the perspective from heaven and what our thoughts ought to be about these judgments, how we ought to think, how we ought to perceive them. How do we see them? They happen during this gospel age. It is God that is sending these judgments. How should we think about them? And then in chapter 16, and I don't want to lose the thread now, but chapter 16 gives us the details of those specific seven vials. Now, as we come to these vials, these judgments, we notice that there's a very close connection between these and the trumpets that were given, remember, in Uh, the previous or two cycles before, trumpets were sounded after the horses, after the decrees were given. Remember the the white horse went out, then the red horse, and then the black horse, and then there were other decrees. We had in the second cycle the decrees, and then we had the trumpets in the third cycle. 
And what we find here is a very close connection between the trumpets and these bowls or vials as they poured out. Remember the trumpets were given to warn men, weren't they? To warn people and those yet alive. And if you notice, just turn back to Revelation 9 verse 20 and we read about those trumpets. And what were those trumpets? Well, they were floods and earthquakes and famines, great Disasters, well, we call them disasters, but they were acts of God. Warnings to sinful, unrepentant men that remained alive. They serve as a warning. And uh, have a look at verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of their, the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So they worship those idols. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their theft. So the whole of the Ten Commandments there are really covered. Men do not repent for the sake of these plagues. Now they're called plagues, but they're also called, if you read the context, trumpets. They're warnings. And so, those are warnings. But those who perished in them, they acted as bowls. They acted as judgments. They swiftly took people away, didn't they? So they came as trumpets to those who remained alive. But actually, they come as vials. You know what a vial is. Well, they have vials in labs. They use vials in the medical field to put something, some chemical in there. Well, this is poured out. So the judgments, and you you can think of perhaps that great tsunami that took well over 224,000 people in the tsunami. Remember, across, I think it was 12, 13 maybe 14 countries on Boxing Day many years ago. That was all part of God's judgment. And so there are seven judgments. Now, seven, again, pictures complete. It pictures perfection, holiness. And ultimately, there will be one final judgment. That's judgment day. So these vials that are poured out are all God's judgment throughout time, but then finally the great judgment, how we're to view them. That's what we'll see tonight. Well, they poured out throughout this present age because of sin. And in many ways we must say that sin is actually restrained by Judgments. They humble men, don't they? You think of the Tower of Babel and what happened there. That, in a sense, was a judgment. How God dispersed the people and scattered them. Men were thinking they were as God. So proud. And uh, you know this about the Aztecs and the Incas. Many of them practiced terrible things. 
homosexuality was rife in the ancient South Americas. And you can read in the historical annals that 22 of the ancient civilizations were destroyed. Many of them had succumbed to homosexuality, sodomy. And as God's act, we know that even Mount Vesuvius, we know what happened there. There was a terrible destruction just after Rome was destroyed, 74 AD. And uh, even the Italians are quite ashamed of some of their hideous pottery to put it in the museums because some of the lurid acts that were painted on that pottery. And it's little wonder that God destroyed by the eruption of that volcano. God does bring these judgments upon the wicked nations of this world. Sin is somewhat restrained. God can and does control sin. While God is not the author of sin, he can control it. He can restrain it by judgments, by acts. God is able to restrain Satan. And man's wrath will even praise God, we read in the word of God, until the Lord finally returns to judge all men. There will be one final day when all sin, and you know the great judgments, whether it be an earthquake, whether it be a tsunami, whether it be lightning, that is not really the final judgment. There is the second death that men will face. That is going to ultimately be God's judgment upon this world. Physical harm is one thing. Fear him who is able to cast both, both body and soul into hell. Remember what the Lord said. Now, firstly, notice the description of this sign or these signs of judgments. Verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Well, they are called here great and marvelous. This is a great and marvelous thing. John sees, and he says this is great and marvelous. Great because God does bring judgment. And one day we will, as we will see from the book of Exodus, how they extolled God for the judgment that was poured out upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh. We too one day, and you read here how the saints, they glorify God, they singing upon this sea mingled with fire, and they praising God with their harps. This is just judgment. And it's described here as great and marvelous. And some of us might think, oh, that's quite strong. That's quite severe. Well, one day we will think perfectly. Because God's justice is a divine perfection. Just as much as his love is, his love is perfect. His mercy is perfect. But his mercy is precisely this. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And when God pours out judgment, as we will see, it is always just. It is always right. It is always perfect. It is always holy. 
It is one of his divine perfections that we must glory in. Now remember King Agrippa, how wicked he was, how he wanted to kill James and did kill James and then wanted to kill Peter. And then remember how he he boasted in that great stadium and gave a great oration, gave a great speech, and then he was eaten by worms. Who sent the worms? God did. Acts 12, 22. And the people gave a shout saying, It is the voice of a God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. God did that. This man gloried not in God, but received praise to himself as if it was a God. And remember even Pilate. What did Pilate do? Well, even the night before, remember how his wife warned him and in a dream have nothing to do with the death of this man. And he even went through this act of washing his hands. He said, I'm innocent, but of course he wasn't. He was a spineless lackey and honed it over the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Judas was guilty of the greater sin. But you know, judgment came to Pilate too. According to some traditions, he was executed by the emperor Caligula. Some say he committed suicide, but he suddenly disappeared and they found him dead. We don't know the real reasons, but judgment soon came to him. Now we're told, aren't we, by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, when we think of this present world and how men live, Seeing God's glory every day. I quoted just a little while ago from Psalm 19 that the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God day unto day. I mean, nature is crying out. History. We mark the year 2023 by what? What does the person of the street think he's looking at when he sees those numbers? 2023 marks the year, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, the year of his coming. And Paul says in Romans 1.18, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, that's even now against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. And so even now God is pouring out his wrath Paul says it's revealed from heaven even now. How? He says God gives men over to an unclean mind, to a reprobate mind. Because that they, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And foolish in their heart, they were darkened, professing themselves to be wise, he says. They became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God to an image. They became fools. And what does God do? He even gives them over more. Wherefore God also gave them to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. 
To do what? To dishonor their bodies. This is all part of God's judicial hardening and judgment upon unrighteous men. Verse 26 of Romans 1, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. God giving men up to their sin. Now these judgments not only by calamities, but men being abandoned to the wickedness of their own perverse minds and their own debased minds. When we speak about total depravity, if we really understood total depravity, man is not as wicked as he could be. There are so many restraints God has put upon society, even now, that if God just took away his common operations. It all must be like hell. God is angry every day with the wicked. We're told in Psalm 7 verse 11, it says there, God judgeth the righteous. That is, he delivers the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day, he's angry. Every day, he is pouring out, in a sense, many judgments. His wrath. So these vials, these bowls, are not just seen in the last day, but over the entire period of this history, of this gospel age. And we know in the next chapter, chapter 16, when we get to it, it will happen over history. But one day, in the final day, it be poured out. Now, let's just see, first of all, in verse 1 and 2, as John sees the sign of these judgments, what does he see? And what does he notice? And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. That's how he describes it. These plagues, these vials that are going to be poured out. Again, seven symbolizes what it symbolizes complete. It symbolizes divine perfection. Even in the judgments, what John sees is great and marvelous. My dear friends, remember the Lord Jesus speaking in John, sorry, in Luke 13, where the Jews are telling him about all these things that are taking place. And uh, he brings to their attention these things, the Tyre of Siloam, or what? Pilate did with the blood of men. He said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God's judgments are great and marvelous because they, they are different to us. When we judge, we judge unrighteously. God is long-suffering when he judges. The scriptures say that he is slow to wrath. Now, you, you know what it's like. There are some people that are always shouting. And uh, people don't seem to be listening to them. Because that's just the nature of them. They're just shouters. Some teachers are like that. But you know the teacher who you really respect. It's rare that he shouts, but when he shouts, you know you've really done something wrong. You ever have a teacher like that? That's the difference. The difference is God is restrained even in his wrath. But when he pours it out, 
It is completely just. When we think of God's wrath, we're not to think of it negatively, but it's perfect. Just like his love, his love is perfect. It's unsullied, it's untainted. Some people might be thinking, well, yes, but my children and my family will be going to God's wrath if they don't repent. Yes, well, it's sad to think of that. But friends, on that final day, we will see as God sees. And we will say it is good, it is great, it is marvelous. A.W. Pink said, God's wrath is as much a divine perfection as his faithfulness is and power or mercy. He said, it's sad indeed to find so many professing Christians who appear to regard the wrath of God as something for which they need to make an apology, or at least wish there were no such thing, while some would not go so far as to openly admit whether they consider it a blemish on the divine character yet they are far from regarding it with delight. They do not like to think about it, and they rarely hear it mentioned without a secret resentment rising up in their hearts against it. Even with those who are more sober in their judgment, not a few seem to imagine that there is a severity about the divine wrath which makes it too terrifying to form a theme or profitable contemplation. Others harbor the delusion that God's wrath is not consistent with his goodness, and so seek to banish it from their thoughts. I've heard people twist all kinds of verses of Scripture to try to excuse God's wrath. But let us understand, first of all, that God's wrath is very different, as I said, to our wrath. Our wrath is sometimes based on false ideas about ourselves. You know, we think we're a lot better. Or we think we've been wronged by somebody. And, uh, well, sometimes we've been shamed and then we, we're wrathful towards somebody. Sometimes we are to blame, actually. And we don't really look at our own selves. Even when we feel justified, we, we want to be wrathful to somebody else, but that's always disproportionate. It's never measured. God's wrath is always measured. God's wrath is always perfect. God's wrath is consistent with his holiness. There's no sin in God's wrath. There's always sin in our wrath. This is why the scriptures say, leave wrath to God. Always leave wrath to him. The Bible says, be angry. We read in James, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. God is very different to us. When we think people are wrathful, so often they've been impatient, and that's the case. But God is not impatient. God is perfectly measured in all that he does, all of his warnings. Well, Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He does anger, but he's slow to anger. But when he is angry, he is 
just in doing so and perfectly right in all that he does. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The scriptures are not teaching us that we shouldn't be angry. Scriptures are telling us the wise man, he that is slow to anger, is better than he that is mighty. As I referred you to, perhaps a teacher, maybe that you respected in school, highly respected. He only had to give you a look. He didn't want to cross his path. But it took a while, didn't it? But you didn't want to upset him, rather than the teacher screaming and shouting all the time. And that's how we should be as Christians. Slow to anger. Doesn't mean to say we don't get angry. We should do. James says in James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you're always wrathful, people really don't pay attention. Again, Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. The devil can make easy work of us when we're filled with a wrong kind of wrath. Yes. Well, here we're thinking about God's wrath. It's described here as great and marvelous. Because it's always in the interest of justice. That's how God's wrath is. Ours is always sometimes out of self-interest or self-preservation. But God's is always out of justice. It's not rash. We react very often to our feelings. Some people's anger carries far more weight than others, as we said. Now, secondly, we note here how his laws are. Notice in this chapter, verse 15, uh, sorry, verse 2, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Here we have two things. Fire represents judgment. We know that Christ has eyes as a flame of fire, able to see through anything. And then the sea here of glass, transparency. In terms of God's judgment, there will be utter transparency. He knows everything. And this is why it is marvelous and great. Because God has all the records. He has all the accounts. He knows every secret detail. He doesn't need to ask for witnesses like a judge needs to in the courtroom. But he knows every detail, every facet of a man's life. Do we not read in Luke 18, the Lord Jesus said, when he gives that parable of the elect being avenged by God, Luke 18, 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? And that's what's in view here. Those have persecuted the church. Those have persecuted the church, have persecuted Christ. Whatever they, they did, they did to him. 
shows also how much he loves his people. And God shall not God judge his own elect, avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth. Something else, you notice the rejoicing of God's people in the final day. Verse 2, and I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, utter transparency and justice, and them that had gotten the victory of the beast, and over his image, that's the world, and those who bore the image, the mark of man, the mark of the beast, over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, standing on transparency, and that glass sea mingled with fire. God's justice and transparency, everything we will see, we will see perfectly, and we want more. In fact, we'll be very humble that day. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we would have perished with the lost of this world. And notice verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways. Thou art King of saints. Now this scene here takes us back to the time of 1446 B.C. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea when God parted the Red Sea. When the people came out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. It's a picture of us, isn't it? And remember how God destroyed Pharaoh and all of his chariots and all of his army. These people that had persecuted the Jews. Ultimately, they were persecuting Christ. And his bride, his True people, his elect, even out of that company. But then God destroyed them. Maybe you wish to turn with me there quickly to Exodus 15. And you notice the song that they sing. And this is what is being referred to, the same song, the song of Moses. Verse 1, then sang Moses and the children of Israel the song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in the habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also were drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, notice that, thou hast overthrown them. They, they were not ashamed of God's judgment. Thou sentest forth thy wrath which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. 
I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. And you come, look at the verse 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. So just here as these, these bowls, these vials are pulled out. Here you have it in the Old Testament. That was a vial that was God. He sitteth over the floods. And then he says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? He says this is a wonderful thing. God's justice is holy, and it is right, and it is good. Problem is, we are perverse. We want to excuse sin. We become humanists. Of course, we understand. We grieve our lost ones, no doubt. But my friend, what kind of a God are you dealing with? You're dealing with a holy God who cannot behold any sin. And so this song is mentioned here. The Holy Spirit makes reference of it in Revelation 15. Going back to Egypt, when it troubled the people of God. And they troubled them no more, as it were. They were on the other side. And here's the picture, on the other side, in heaven. And so this is really an introduction to chapter 16. We are to have the right view of God's judgment. They're all upon the sea that speaks of transparency and it's mingled with fire. Justice and transparency. God sees all things. He knows all things. And regarding God's judgment, there will be degrees of punishment. It will be measured. It will not be just poured out without any thought, but it will be according to every man's deed, as we are told. He shall give every man according to his deeds. Psalm 58, verse 10, The righteous, this is interesting, even concerning judgment, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. I know that may be hard for us. But we will see perfectly then. And all the facts will be uncovered. All the secrets of men's hearts will be open and bare. Matthew 10, 26, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. And I quoted earlier from 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, how Paul, by the Spirit, he comforts the Thessalonians and he says, unto you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall be shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in them that believe. We'll not be ashamed of him, but we'll admire him for his holiness and his justice. We will especially admire him for his love to us who deserve the fires of hell, who deserve everlasting punishment. That is unspeakable. The Lord will be admired. We won't be ashamed of his justice in that day. I hope we're not ashamed of his justice now. But rather we will be awe in awe and in praise of him. And we won't mourn the lost because we will see things as we ought perfectly. Today, when you think of it, men live in open denial of God every day. And the scriptures say that they are without excuse. Such were we. We have the law of God written upon our hearts. We knew right from wrong. And yet we carried on in our own way until God's mercy stopped us in our tracks. And the arrows of the law came penetrating our hearts and convicting us of our sin. And even now, friends, there are the trumpets. I mentioned a month ago we had the earthquake, didn't we? But yet men carry on, don't they, in their own way. Such were we. Something else. You see the testimony opened then. Who shall not fear thee, verse 4, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art holy. You see that? Holiness of God. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now, of course, men will bow. Only the true saints from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation who are elect and born again will truly worship. But every knee will bow. They will have to. And you notice, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. What is that? That is where the law was. The law of the testimony. The Ten Commandments. The testimony was always in the ark. With the budding rod and the censer, the golden censer, where the manna was. And now you see they're about to notice They see justice. And the seven angels came out of the temple. They haven't poured out these vials, by the way, yet. You see, this is a sort of an introduction to these vials or these bowls. And the seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues. See, they're not poured out yet. Clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. The girdle pictures judgment. We know from... Revelation chapter 1 verse 13, that Christ himself is pictured with a golden girdle and feet as with fine brass, ready to trample his enemies. The same here with these angels. They have this girdle, authority. That's what it pictured, a golden sash. And that's what they have. 
And one of the four beasts, verse 7, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. Not the wrath of angels, but the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Now notice, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now what does that mean? People stumble here and get quite confused. Well, I think the easiest or or the most simple explanation is often the right one. You notice that judgments haven't gone out yet. No one is able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Well, that we should be able to understand. No entering the temple until these judgments, these vials are poured out. Now, first of all, we are told that in heaven, this is where people get confused, there is no temple. And that's true. If you turn with me to Revelation 21, verse 22. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple therein. Here John is speaking about heaven. For the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. We said that Lord's Day, didn't we? Because we were considering Solomon's temple. No temple. But God is the temple. Why? Because we're told God will tabernacle with us. And he, there will be no sun, no, no because God will be the light of glory. That's what we're told. So, hold on a minute. No entering the temple until... The plagues are over. Simple language really conveying the fact that we will not enter heaven and or the final new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness until all of these judgments have gone forth, until all men stand before the great white throne of Almighty God, until that final plague. Now, again, look at Revelation 3.12. The Lord says to the church there, Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. But we've said there's no temple in heaven. What does it mean? It means to be with God, to be with His Son. It means to be with God eternally. God who will tabernacle with us forever. That's what it means. But it means that we'll not be with Him with glorified bodies until that final day. After the judgment, because we learn this from Revelation 22. 21 tells us of the great white throne that we will stand before. And every man will be judged according to his works. But then there is another book opened up. And what is that book? It is the Lamb's book of life. All those for whom Christ have died will be in that book. And he is born their curse. He is born their sins. And they shall not be cast away. And that ought to humble us. Should humble us. But you notice here, verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Verse 8. And from his power. It's a picture. If you just turn to Isaiah 6. 
Remember Isaiah when he, John tells us that he actually saw Christ in the temple. And what was in the temple? It was filled with smoke. It's a picture of anger. It's a picture of wrath. Remember how Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm undone. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Think of it. The whole earth is full of his glory. And yet men live as if there is no God. The whole of the earth is full of his glory. And the glory here even fills the temple. And the temple is full of smoke. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Again, it's a picture, isn't it, of an angry God. I said that he's not just holy. But it's holy anger. God is angry with sinners every day. And what does Isaiah say? Verse 5, woe is me, for I am undone. But what happens? Then verse 6, one flew of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he laid it on my mouth and said, lo, This has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity or thy sin is taken away. Think of it. What was placed upon the altar, an animal, a sacrifice. And no doubt the fat would have dripped upon the the coal. And somehow, in a symbolic way here, the lips, the tongue of Isaiah is cleansed. He He says, I am an unclean man. But from the altar comes mercy. And that's so for us, isn't it? From the altar of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, only, my friends, are we cleansed. Otherwise, it would be woe for us, wouldn't it? You see the temple? Do you see the picture? Do you see a holy God? And that's the picture in heaven. Let me close with this. Just a few things, dear friends, about the wrath of God. Three things to think about. The wrath of God is a perfection. A divine perfection. A character upon God, of God, that we must frequently meditate. Never forget that God, firstly, is holy. So different to you and I. And he cannot excuse one single sin. And apart from the grace of God we'd be lost. Apart from God giving us a new heart, because we by nature were children of wrath, we were spiritually dead, we were spiritually blind, we were spiritually deaf, we didn't want to hear. When the word of God comes to somebody, it's not as if God is giving them a chance, and then the choice is left up to the person. Although it's true, a man must repent. What happens is, you know, I heard somebody say this 
to me the other day, is God giving everybody a chance, my friend? Let me say this, most, a lot of people do not hear the gospel. Salvation is actually about God having mercy and saving somebody, giving them eyes to see and a heart to believe. That is mercy. Apart from him, we would never, ever, ever, ever come. Man is totally depraved. And I'm sorry, if, if, if it were down to man's ability or the place he was born, he would be a pretty unfair God. Because some people have deformities. Some people can't hear. Some people live in a place where there's no word. But just like he will go out and he will reach that Ethiopian eunuch traveling in the midst of the desert, he sends Philip out. He sends one out here, sends another out there, and they hear the word, and they quickened and they brought to life. It's about God quickening. We all deserve wrath. Every one of us. Let's not talk about fairness. Fairness, we all go to hell. Justice, we all go to hell. We're all lost, apart from mercy. God's mercy is a perfection too. It's precisely what it is. It's not of him that runneth or him that willeth, but of God that has mercy. If we, secondly, we must meditate upon his divine character of holiness and his wrath. It is a perfection. But it's perfect wrath. It's measured. Secondly, if we're to beget a true fear of God in our souls. Hebrews twelve twenty eight, Let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with godly fear and awe. Fear him. If you really have been shown mercy, show respect for him. Do you live in such a way that you really believe that you have been shown mercy? Well, you believe it's your own strength. So the way you talk about the lost, careful how you talk. Careful what you say about them. Who hath made you to differ, my friend? We may even speak about other religions, and, and they're all damnable. They're all false. But remember, apart from God's mercy, you'd be there. You'd be lost. And you and I cannot serve God acceptably unless there is a humility. When we think of here God's judgment, there ought to be humility. Thirdly, to draw out of our souls fervent praise, we must realize that we have been delivered from the wrath to come. And we are continuing to be delivered from the wrath to God. Think of it. The times you and I have sinned and said foolish things, yet God very graciously has drawn us back and brought us back to the truth, humbly corrected us. Can we boast? No. Paul says, where is boasting? 
to be excluded. You hath he quickened. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. God hath made alive. For by grace are ye saved through faith, which is the gift of God, not of yourselves, but it's of him. Even your good works are prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Let us walk to the glory of God. And let us not judge God with a feeble sense. Well, let us sing something of that song of Moses in our last hymn. Amen. Number 690.